This is Lou Elizondo, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Day to day, life comes at you fast, and like anyone, I can get stuck focusing on problems rather than looking for solutions. Whether that's in my professional 9 to 5, on the podcast, or even just as a parent. It can be tough to train your brain to think differently, but it is possible. There is no better time to start making a change than today, and when you finally learn to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish those goals you've been struggling to. For many, using better help has allowed them to unload stress, heal emotional scars, or even help with anxiety and depression. For me, the flexibility of being able to access online help through messaging on the app or even voice or video calls is a win, not to mention it's convenient and affordable. All you need to do is fill in a very brief survey and BetterHelp will match you with a therapist that suits your needs. You can of course swap your therapist at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash that UFO today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com forward slash that UFO. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and I am here with your second deep dive. The first deep dive in the series was with Joe Murgia on the Wilson Davis memo and it was very successful with a lot of great feedback. And today I am back to investigate one of my personal favourite events in the history of the UFO subject. My guest today is an internationally acclaimed physician and health educator who pushed aside her successful medical career to pursue the Phoenix Lights book and internationally award-winning documentary project. She was leading the cutting-edge era of early disease detection and prevention as chief clinical consultant of the Imaging Prevention Wellness Centre at the world-renowned Arizona Heart Institute in Phoenix, Arizona, until coming forward around seven years after the event we're going to talk about. Um, she was a key witness to the historic Phoenix Lights event on March 13th, 1997. I'd like to welcome Dr. Lynn Kitai to the podcast. So wonderful to be with you and your audience and to set the record straight. <laughs> As a, a key witness, who I'm the only one with 35 millimeter of these unexplained aerial phenomena (UAP) that have now been hailed worldwide as the most witnessed, most documented, most important mass anomalous aerial sighting in modern history, if not all of history. So uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and your audience, and and really get into. Um, what really happened here and how the story unfolded. It's fascinating in and of itself, but there is so much to the story that uh, I look forward to sharing uh, with your audience because it's time we get this topic out in the open, address it, accept it, and study it so we can move forward and, and not only find out who's driving these things, but move forward in our own evolution. We're right on the precipice of realizing now that the government and military have come forward to say that these things are real and that they can't explain where they're from or who's driving them. Um, the Phoenix Lights case really is monumental uh, in, in the uh, annals of ufology. So it's a thrill to be with you. And, um, you know, we can start off with my first sighting, I had no interest or knowledge in the topic at all. In fact, I kind of pushed it aside. I was too busy bringing up two young boys to be uh, caring and productive adults, which they are. And uh, also, which is ironic, my life's work has been community education of vital health issues. I started in 1976. While I was still in my medical training, I'm an MD, medical doctor, and um, saw the need to educate the public on vital health issues and went to NBC in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with an idea. They happened to be doing a two week uh, series on uh, women's medical problems. And uh, they asked me if I would do it. And, and from the get go, um, my background was uh, actually besides medicine, before I went to medical school, uh, my other hat, was professional musical theater since I was a child. And I toured with some of the icons out there, Gordon McRae in Oklahoma and Betty Grable and Guys and Dolls and understudy Barbara Eden in Sound of Music and a whole host of others. So I kind of combined all that um, to do health reporting. 
on NBC and uh, did everything from researching and writing and going out in the field and directing the shoot and going back and editing and then being on set to answer questions with, from the uh, anchors. And uh, when we moved to Phoenix in 1980 from Philadelphia, a syndication had grown out of my health tips that was already showing here at CBS. And NBC here also asked me to do a health program for them. And by the mid 80s, I was seeing kids in the practice, adolescent medicine is my specialty, who were drowning in substance abuse and wanted to wake them up to the reality of substance abuse, but in the classroom. And uh, I started producing uh, video and curriculums, workbook curriculums that have won all kinds of awards and, and so forth. And the Entertainment Industry Council took note because I had kids that had been there, celebrities in the field, okay, celebrities, experts in the field and celebrities. I brought in my other hat um, when you had Michael, jo Michael Jordan and, and um, uh, the original cast from Beverly Hills, 90210 and Paul Abdul and a whole host of others to give poignant messages. I wanted to hit the kids with, with everything. So hopefully it would wake them up to the reality of substance abuse. Now, take it fast forward to 1995 without any interest or knowledge in the topic at all. And if anybody is by their computer, if they would like to get on the Phoenix Lights Network website, www.thephoenixlights.net, and go to the photo page, you will see my unique collection of 35 millimeter photographs prior to and after March 13, 1997, which we will get to when thousands of people saw what I had been documenting for two years prior. And I always go back to the first sighting that I had. We lived mountainside in Paradise Valley. And in Phoenix, there are mountains surrounding the valley. They call it the Valley of the Sun. And from our vantage point, and if you look at that first picture on the photo page, you'll see the topography, which is very important. Because from our vantage point, and I'm going to be bringing this up later as well, you can see in the distance two mountain ranges. One is the South Mountain and one is the Estrella Mountains a few miles back. And right in front of South Mountain is the airport. So one wall of our, of our bedroom is a window. So we're very familiar with what planes and helicopters and streetlights and car lights look like. It was February 6, 1995. I don't believe in coincidence anymore. It happened to be the eve of my birthday, February 7th. I was in a bath in another room. My husband was in the room with the big window, and he was standing by the window on the phone with my mother-in-law, who called from Philadelphia to wish me a happy birthday. He was also a physician uh, on several state and hospital medical boards. Nothing ever ruffled his feathers, but he sounded alarmed, and he says, what the hell is that? Get over here quick. So I grabbed my camera, grabbed my uh, towel, wringing wet, run over to the window, dripping a little below us, because we're pretty high on the mountain. And we're nestled in the mountain, and we're gated. So there is no way this was military. We're three amber orbs in a pyramid formation, one on top and two closely aligned underneath, a little below us. It were a very treacherous desert landscape. In fact, I looked underneath to see if somebody was there. They shouldn't have been skated, but it was pitch black. And my first thought was to get my video camera, but it was downstairs and I didn't want to miss anything. And you'll hear from many people who have anomalous sightings like this. So they, they don't move. They're in awe, which we were. And I didn't know how long it would last. So I tried to take everything in mentally. I always suggest take those mental moments. And it's just like it happened yesterday. The size, the shape, the color. They were about three to six feet each, depending on how close they were. And they were just yards from our window. They were oval shaped. I noted that immediately, which is interesting because the Navy Nimitz pilots who have come forward to show the Tic Tac video now talk about what they were seeing were oval shape. And there are many sightings where people describe what they were seeing as oval shape. I don't know if it's the same uh, phenomena, but nonetheless, they were oval shape. And I call them an orb 
because the light did not extend outside the edge. It was self-contained and it was a uniform amber color throughout, very soothing, very mesmerizing. And I collect sunsets. And if you go on that photo page, you'll see at the bottom, there are two sunset pictures. I did not see this massive rod-shaped object a month apart in the same place, but they're in the negative. 35 millimeter is in the negative, cannot be explained or denied. At any rate, I kept the camera handy to capture the sunset, and I run to the closet to get my camera, saying nobody's going to believe this unless I take a picture of it. It was so unusual. And as my husband calls me back, he says, get over here quick. One of them is disappearing. I always go back to this sighting. It was up close and personal. I watched the top orb, without budging from the two underneath, start to shrink very, very slowly, mechanically, as if there was an intelligence behind it. The, the only shows we ever saw, because we weren't into the topic at all, but having two young boys was the original Star Trek series with William Shatner. And I just did an interview for, for his show um, because the messages were so great. And, of course, Close Encounters and uh, of the Third Kind. And um, uh, that was it. And E.T., the movie E.T. But in Star Trek. They talk about or they show the Romulan cloaking device that kind of wavers before it cloaks. I really noted that just popped in my head, that picture. It wasn't wavering at all, but it was cloaking. It was cloaking right in front of us till it was pea size and then disappeared. But it felt like it was still there. Where did it go? I stepped out on the balcony. There's a sliding glass door perpendicular to that big window. Took a quick picture of the two lower orbs. That picture is on the photo page. And immediately noticed an eerie silence as if time had stopped. It was just bizarre. And as intently as I was watching these two lower orbs, and I have to admit, I did not admit this to anyone until two years later after the mass sighting. But going through my mind at that moment, I thought, who are you? What are you? Do you know that I'm here? I'd love to meet you. That's exactly what I thought. The next thing I remember, the left bottom orb started to shrink, just like the top one did. And something told me to take a picture, and I clicked the picture of that. That's also on the photo page. That was the only one that turned out at the time. But for me, it was miraculous, because here I caught one orb half disappear while it was cloaking, and one still there. But I didn't know who to show it to. I knew no one who was into the topic, and I wondered for two years what this advanced technology was right outside our bedroom window, why my husband and I saw it together, okay, so we could corroborate that there was something there, and I had a picture of it. Not until two months before the mass sighting, and people don't know this, there is so much mis- and disinformation out there that... And inevitably, because I pushed my whole medical career aside for seven years after thousands of people saw what I had been seeing to try to find a logical explanation for what I witnessed and photographed. I have multiple 35 millimeter photographs of these UAP. I have yet to find that. But two months before the mass sighting, I'm lying in bed. And if anything pops up out there, whether it's you know, a storm, a dust storm, or uh, a fire, or whatever, we, it catches our eye. And here I notice three amber orbs in an equidistant line far west. And this is January 22nd, 97. And I'm watching them. And as I'm watching them, they're hovering for minutes. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, they're amber color. They were huge balls of light. They're in an equidistant line now. And I watched each one from right to left. It seemed to implode just like 95. And I mentioned it to my husband, which by the way, he did not want to talk about that close sighting. He would not discuss it. He would get a little agitated when I brought it up. It's interesting that everybody comes from a different background, different upbringing, different belief system, different worldview. Some people can't deal with this topic. Some people don't want to, and that's okay. Everyone in their own time.
but now there's data they can really look at. But at any rate, I mentioned it to him and he said, do I still have to go to work tomorrow? That was his comment. The next evening, he was at a medical board meeting. And I get up to the bedroom and I notice that out of the sliding glass door is now the same three amber orbs, huge, but at a distance in front of South Mountain. And if you look on that photo page, the first picture, you'll notice there are red blinking lights on top of South Mountain to alert aircraft that are coming into Sky Harbor that's in front of South Mountain, that there's a mountain there. And they were lower than those lights. So I figured, enough, I'm getting my video camera. I run downstairs, I grab my video camera, it was charged. I get out to the um, front area and I get about 18 seconds worth, the battery goes dead. I go inside, I plug it up, it's about eight o'clock, I run outside, they're gone. It's been a tough few years for many of us, juggling a lot that life has thrown our way. As someone with a young family, finances have never been more important, especially with the soaring cost of living day to day. That's where Credit.com can help. There is a way you can begin to take back some control of your financial situation. Extra Credit is a product from Credit.com that gives you unmatched credit coverage. You might have checked your credit score on a free app then when trying to make a purchase on credit, like a car, found it wasn't quite what you expected. Extra credit from credit.com gives you access to all 28 FICO scores to see exactly what lenders will see. Extra credit not only gives you access to those 28 FICO scores, but also helps guard your identity with $1 million ID insurance, dark web scans and data breach alerts. Plus, you can get cash rewards for selecting personalised offers. As someone who, as a student, racked up a lot of debt, I can relate to having to rebuild my credit score as an adult. There's no better time to do this than now. The past can't be changed, but you can begin to rebuild your future today. To sign up for extra credit, go to credit.com forward slash that UFO and get started there. To sweeten the deal, you can even get the first seven days absolutely free. It's just $24.99 plus tax a month after the free trial. You can cancel any time. So go check out extra credit today and start working on your credit goals. About a half hour later, my husband's coming up the drive. I go outside. I said, honey, remember I told you about the three equidistant orbs far west last night? Well, about a half an hour ago, they were right in front of South Mountain. And as I'm pointing, just like this, they reappear in the same spot. I was like, whoa, i got to get a picture of this. So, again, a little coincidence because my video camera was attached to electricity to charge it up. In video, it doesn't do the lights justice. This is really important. In video, the lights are much smaller. They're white, not amber. They flicker. Um, nonetheless, the formations themselves are very compelling if you really look at it. But 35 millimeter, they're in the negative. I grab my 35 millimeter. I get out to the balcony just as I'm ready to shoot the three. Suddenly, six lights pop on above the three. Massive span over a mile wide totally equidistant from each other. It was so unnerving, not having an explanation for 95 close sighting, that I started to shake. And the first picture of that series, you can see it's wavy because I'm shaking, <laughs> okay? But I kept my wits about me, thank goodness, because the second picture, to me, is a smoking gun. The second picture shows, and I always say the data speaks for itself, just look at it. And if I can be a credible voice so people actually look at the data, then I've done my job. So I hope that your audience will look at the data because here there's one light in the center that's the brightest and two on each side with two underneath in the picture. Two months later, thousands of people would describe what they were seeing during the mass sighting as five lights in a V formation with two trailing lights. And we have documentation on TV, on the radio, of people sharing just that. This is two months before the mass lighting. Then as I'm clicking away, whatever I was capturing head-on turned into a V shape. And that, as the lights were disappearing from underneath, the three lights were disappearing, I ran inside, called the Arizona Republic newspaper, which is a big newspaper here, and said, you've got to get somebody out there quick. There's strange lights in front of South Mountain. Get some pictures of it and please tell me what it is. As I finished the sentence, they were gone.
didn't sleep well that night. But by the next morning, I thought, come on, there's got to be a logical explanation, right? I'll just search it out. So I called the Arizona Republic again and got an operator on the phone. I said, did anybody call last night to report strange lights in front of South Mountain? She gets off. She gets right back on. She said, no, nobody called. Well, I know I called. So I said, well, my husband and I did see something strange. I'm just trying to find out what it is. She says, well, sometimes they do experimental maneuvers from Luke Air Force Base, and they don't tell the public about it. I thought, that sounds reasonable, but let me call and see if that's what it was. So I call Luke Air Force Base, try to be very professional. My husband and I are both physicians. We live mountainside in Paradise Valley. We saw some strange lights appear in front of South Mountain last night. Do you have any idea what they might have been from the get-go? She had an attitude. And she said, well, they didn't come in from Luke Gaffer's place and they didn't come out from here, so he had nothing to do with them. I said, be that as it may, we did see something. I even got pictures of it. Um, who can I call to find out what they might be? She says, well, you said it was near South, near South Mountain in the airport, so maybe they saw something there. Huh. Now it was a mission, which is very unlike me, by the way, at the time. But I called the FAA. And I said the same thing. The operator was really nice. And she said, well, there was a group of air traffic controllers here last night that uh, did see some strange lights. I mean, it was already a buzz about it. Maybe they, you know, maybe they're here this morning. I said, please, please ask if anybody's here this morning. I would love to speak with someone. Finally, kept me waiting forever. <laughs> see for five minutes. This guy who I subsequently met, very low-key guy, Gets on the phone. He said, did you see the six lights were equidistant from each other? I'm bringing information at 8.30 last night. I said, he was more excited than me. I said, yes, that's why I called. He said, we saw them at 8 o'clock. I said, that's, yes, I saw them too. He said, they three popped up at 8 o'clock over Class B restricted airspace. He was very, they were all very forthcoming initially. Um, <clears throat> about 1,000 feet altitude. Anyone that comes into that radius of 30 miles around the center of the airport, must call into the tower, especially a thousand feet that these were. No one called, so they got alarmed, looked on radar, did not show up on radar. They disappeared. When they popped up again, six of them, massive span over a mile wide, at 8.30, they really got alarmed, look on radar, didn't show up on radar, took their high-powered binoculars to look, and in their own words, there were six points of light totally equidistant from each other, massive span over a mile wide, over Class B restricted airspace, that seemed to be attached to something. These lights seemed to be attached to something or had a force field in between that was holding them in rock solid formation. And he was a meteorologist and said that the entire thing turned as a unit against the wind, very significant, elevated slowly in synchrony and then moved as a unit behind South Mountain. So he said, so what was it? And there was silence. And then he said, beats me. I said, you're an air traffic controller. You're supposed to know what's in our airspace. They ruled out every conventional aircraft, balloons, Chinese lanterns, flares, even skydivers with lights. And we kept in contact. I continued photographing these phenomena up and including March 13, 1997. Let me just follow up on one thing there, Dr. Lynn, because that's a lot of really fascinating context, even before we get to the mass event in 1997. Now, you're, you're collecting a lot of data on your own. You've got an interest in the subject gathering. You're starting to see these lights on a, a pretty frequent basis, and you're doing the research, you're following this up. Is no one else in the general area taking a same interest? Are, are you hearing about anyone seeing the same lights? Obviously, aside from air traffic control and such, but... Is there no scuttlebutt amongst the residents of, of these lights appearing? That's a very good question. Besides us alerting our neighbors, and they saw them too. <laughs> um, another interesting coincidence. A couple weeks before the mass sighting, I, my husband was getting really frustrated every time. I, it's a scientist in me. And I have to tell you that I approached this whole thing as a scientist trying to be really uh, meticulous with, with the data and, and credible data. Um, 
I had to run out there every time they these lights popped up for for days before the mass sighting. And um, I figured, okay, I maybe there's a logical explanation to this. So I started showing the video to my friends to find out if anybody knew anyone that was connected to the topic. This is how close I was, Andy. A friend of a friend had a neighbor who had a friend who knew the past president of MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, which I had never heard of before. And I called him up and told him that I was seeing these lights, which he hadn't heard of. But there were other people not only seeing them, but photographing them, too. In fact, one fella called MUFON up to his balcony the night of March 13th and the, the mass sighting night. And they captured an arrowhead of five lights. All you have to do is look at that video. Those lights are attached to something or have a force field holding them in rock solid formation. So there were people, to answer your question, that were seeing them and documenting them on film uh, before the mass sighting. At any rate, he refers me to a field investigator for the following Wednesday, who calls me on Tuesday to say that the then state director of MUFON wanted to be at that meeting, but his mom had passed on Saturday. The funeral was Wednesday. Could we postpone? And I was like, whoa, I am so booked for another couple, three weeks. The only window of opportunity I had was Friday morning at 10 o'clock. He said, fine. I knock on his door. He opens the door. The first thing he says to me is, did you see the mass sighting last night? And I said, well, I saw something similar to what I told you I saw two months ago. In fact, I got video of it from last night. He said, great, because NBC was coming to interview him in a half an hour. I said, whoa. I said, wait a minute. First of all, I don't know if it's a hoax or military or whatever, but it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's about the data. I said, take a copy of the video, show it to whoever. I'm out of here. Oh, and by the way, I called the air traffic controllers again this morning, the morning after the mass sighting. They confirmed it was the same exact phenomena over the same exact location, Class B restricted airspace, a thousand feet altitude, and that a couple pilots called into the tower to report it. And a commercial airline pilot that started screaming, what the hell are these lights over me? And a private pilot on close approach, which we'll get to later, which I had no idea was reporting it while I was filming it. We'll get to who that is later. Who did not come forward for many, many years, I have to say. At any rate, I get home that, that afternoon, sitting in front of my TV. I didn't even know if they would be covering it with my VCR ready to go. You know how they do breaking news on the news stations? Every news station was showing my video. He had given it to everyone, <laughs> which was really exciting because I didn't know what the heck it was, but here people were seeing what we saw. And my video is the three end lights of a giant V or a triangle over a mile wide. By the nine o'clock news, a couple of other videos came forward, the arrowhead and a boomerang, really impressive giant boomerang. Some of your audience may have seen that. My video and the arrowhead video were shot before 10 o'clock. This will become significant. The boomerang, and there's two boomerang videos, were after 10 o'clock. At any rate, it was, it was uncanny that I'm learning on March 13, 1997, that while thousands of people were staring up at the sky for a glimpse of the Hale-Bopp Comet, they also got a glimpse to one, and we just learned from a couple years ago, from the director of the National UFO Reporting Center in Seattle, Washington, Peter Davenport. I thought he was kidding. But he received thousands of reports and drawings and all the illustrations, all kinds of things. That there, one of these objects, whether it was these orbs that were in rock solid formation, in V shape, delta shape, boomerang shape, or actual craft. And we're talking gunmetal bottoms, windows. Some people saw beings at the windows 
30 miles an hour, right over people's heads. And he said one of these objects was eight miles wide. I thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. I mean, he's announced it since and confirms that from his data that he's collected for 25 years, that one of these objects was eight miles wide. Nonetheless, people are seeing these objects. And it wasn't just one or two events that day, March 13, 1997. As you would hear in the media, sure, they grabbed onto the eight to 10 time period, because that's when most people were outside looking up at the sky, seeing something unusual, and calling the news stations and so forth. But on March 13, 1997, the mass sighting, historic mass sighting, began at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. 5.30, there were reports from Native Americans in New Mexico, 7 o'clock hour and beyond in California, 10 o'clock hour, there were two commercial airline pilots that called into radar to report one of these massive mile-wide craft or bigger was covering Las Vegas. And the sightings continued until 5.30 the next morning. The last report that I received personally was from a Boeing crewman who said that his whole crew was coming into Sky Harbor International Airport at 5.30 the next morning. And one of these massive over-mile-wide craft was hovering over their tarmac. Another interesting aside is at 3 a.m., there was a call to the National UFO Reporting Center by an alleged crewman from Luke Air Force Base. And we have part of that very professional recording in our documentary so people can hear it firsthand how excited and professional he was that there was one of these over mile wide craft hovering right over central Phoenix at 8.30 that evening. And jets were sent out from Luke Air Force Base to intercept and get gun camera film, which I heard they did, I haven't seen it, of this object. And as they got close, the lights started to dim and then the entire thing blinked out and disappeared. And not only did Luke Air Force Base go on lockdown after that, which has been confirmed by other people, but this fella said that he helped one of the pilots out of his aircraft because he was so shaken up by it. Now, the technology itself, not only the fact that it disappeared, okay, when jets got close to it, which is like, what does that? But as people are watching, silently, these massive objects right over their heads, rooftop level. Some people said they could have thrown a rock at it. It was so close. If you go to the GAP page, G-A-P, Geospatial Animation Project, on the Phoenix Lights Network website, there was a 12-year study, meticulous study, by investigators, hundreds of reports that they analyzed Two or more people had to see the same craft to be in the study. And their conclusion after 12 years was that there were 10 different craft. Now, whether it was one craft that could morph into looking different, the perspective from where the person was standing, or parade, which is ultimately what they concluded because there were multiple things happening in multiple locations in four different states over a dozen hours. We're talking about a massive parade on March 13, 1997, of incredible objects. Now, one of the pictures will show you that one of the crafts split in two and shot straight up. Other people reported that these orbs detached from the main object when added to the environment and then redocked with it later, which is interesting. Again, going back to the hard data, if you look at the pictures from 95, and there's another story to tell if we have time, you'll see that the same exact phenomenon in an equidistant line is in the same location at a distance, disappearing when my husband and I are focused on the close orbs. In the first picture, there are four lights in a row. The 
close lights actually moved, and we'll get to that. In the last picture, there are two lights in the same location at a distance. So the same exact phenomena was there in 95, as I also photographed two months before the mass sighting, during the mass sighting, and then after the mass sighting. They continued. At any rate, the technology itself was mind-boggling. Also, which is really significant, and we are doing a big, big scientific study right now. If people want to get on the Phoenix Lights Network website, whether you saw the Phoenix Lights or not, you're listening about it. And I've had people worldwide tell me that the Phoenix Lights has affected them at a deep level, even though they never saw it. We're just learning about it and really and reading my book and watching the documentary and just watching this uh, podcast. Um, that really sunk in. The Phoenix Lights really affected people in real time and long term. If you go to the Phoenix Lights Network website, at the landing page, there's a triangle. And right underneath the triangle, there's a link. It goes to a questionnaire that's totally anonymous and confidential. And I welcome people to go there. And I we've had over almost 500 people in less than a month and a half go there because so many people have been affected by the Phoenix Lights and other similar phenomena. You don't have to just talk about the Phoenix Lights, but at any rate, I, I welcome people to do that. Folks, at the start of this year, I got a bit of a health scare and it kick-started me to getting fitter, healthier and generally looking after myself better. A healthier breakfast was high on my priority list and it should be for you too. Magic Spoon is the perfect way to get in your morning protein, eating cereal that tastes like it did when you were a kid without all the bad stuff. I can promise you there is nothing unidentified in this cereal. The variety pack has four flavours including cocoa, fruity, frosted and peanut butter. This pack has 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein and only 4 net grams of carbs. There are only 140 calories per serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free free and low carb. It's delicious but super healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings, afternoons or actually any time of day. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code that UFO at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if for any reason you don't like it, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO and use that code that UFO to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Can, can I just ask a quick question? Sure. On, on the event itself, because that's really interesting, like you say, that there were four states where there were sightings across Correct. that day and, and into the evening. And Most... I also just had somebody tell me that they saw it in Texas as well. So, you know, which would, all, which would make sense later, but if, they saw it on March 13th, 1995, the same phenomenon. Yeah. If, if these objects are as large as they are, it would make sense, wouldn't it, that you're going to see it from, from greater distances as well. What I'd like to know, though, is of, of those two main sightings that everyone knows about, which happen 8.30 and then, and then 10 p.m., can you just go into the detail and distinguish what was the first sighting? that caught people's attention, and then what happened for the second sighting that evening? Okay, you're separating it into two events, right? Just like the media says? Well, gonna, yeah, go, go for that, that first. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. Get, I'm going to get to that. Okay, good. that's mis- and disinformation, okay? Okay. And I'll, and I'll show you why. I'm just going to tell you the facts, not trying to convince anybody of anything. Um, but as the story unfolded, which is really interesting, here, people are seeing this right above their heads, okay? I had no idea at the time that it was four states. I mean, I just knew that it went throughout Arizona and the thousands of people saw what I had been seeing. And I'm learning a week later that because it was amazing. The next Tuesday, I see my video on, on the news again, and they're interviewing a fella right here in Tempe, which is where Arizona State is, it's right near Arizona State, had a huge computer lab. And on the side, he had been analyzing pictures and video of UAP, UFOs, worldwide for like 20 years at the time. And he was showing pictures on the news 
of these orbs in triangle formation from UK, from Belgium, from Russia, from all over the world. That was the first I heard about it. I did not know anything about this topic and it blew me away. I thought, oh my goodness, this is happening worldwide? I had no idea. From that day on, I pushed my whole medical career aside to try to find a logical explanation, kept an intricate journal every day of media reports, witness reports. I started finding the history mind-boggling. I had no idea that these same phenomena have been showing up for centuries. The uh, in Sumerian writings and, and uh, India writings and even the Bible, Ezekiel's wheel, they you know interpreted these things certain ways at the time. You fast forward to uh, the 1800s, a hundred years before ours, 1897, in April, around the same time, in a number of states, in Kansas and California and um, Washington and even Canada, they were uh, seeing and reporting in the newspaper these massive airships with removable lights. Sound familiar? Okay. This was six years before the Wright brothers took flight. And then you fast forward again, World War II, and I'm going over a lot of other ones, but these are, these are big ones because in World War II, what they called Foo Fighters, fire in French, and not the, not the band, <laughs> these were orbs that were traveling in groups of twos and threes around the different aircraft from after the, the uh, World War II. Uh, Germany and Japan and the United States were all looking for who had this advanced spy technology. Everybody thought it was spy technology. Nobody could find out who had this. And then you fast forward again. And we have in the late 80s and early 90s, um, Hudson Valley, New York, um, Belgium, which is really a, a, an example of what should happen. They were very open about their sightings. And um, I heard over and over again, they they. Uh, describe them as otherworldly, worldwide, other countries as well. But Belgium came together with the military and scientists and universities and uh, government uh, and civilians to try to find out, to really investigate these things. That's what should happen, okay? And hopefully that's what's really happening here as well. It's about time. But at any rate, um, and then you fast forward again, and you not only have the Phoenix Lights, but you have uh, worldwide these things are happening. So here I'm keeping an intricate journal, wondering what's going on. And there was no investigation, no explanation at all. Like a lid was put on it. It was uncanny. I mean, we're talking thousand, over 10,000. I'm, I'm probably thinking probably closer to 20,000 people saw this. It was a very clear night, and thousands of people were outside looking up at the sky at the Hale Bob Comet. And there's nothing. May comes, and a councilwoman, Phoenix Vice Mayor, did not see it, Frances Barwood. But so many of her, hundreds of her constituents were calling her, asking why isn't there an investigation. Innocently asked for one in a council meeting, and she was plastered to the wall with jokes in the paper and ridicule and, you know, little green men and the whole thing. I mean, it was it was really horrifying at the time. In 97, there was so much ridicule and snickering and discrediting happening. I was very content to stay anonymous and just do my homework, okay, which I continued to do. At any rate, fast forward again. June 18th, for whatever reason, front page USA Today article. For the first time, people outside of Arizona were hearing about our mass sighting. They really kept a lid on it, okay? And people were afraid to come forward because of the ridicule as well. Overnight, and Andy, we didn't have social media at the time. Overnight, it went viral. By the next morning, every national morning show in across the United States, Peter Jennings, Dan Rather, you name it, were talking about the Phoenix Lights. In fact, we had news people from all over the world come here. And once they started talking to the witnesses, their descriptions were so detailed and so heartfelt that they too were saying, 
Why isn't there an investigation? Why isn't there an explanation? That furry morning, late morning, for the first time, our former Governor Symington announces publicly that he's having an unscheduled press conference for that afternoon to divulge the culprit of the lights over Phoenix. And people took it seriously. In fact, at the press conference, there were parents as well as reporters. He comes marching out one of his aides in a giant alien head costume and made a mockery of it and said people were panicked. No, people weren't panicked. They were panicking because Nell was out of the bag. People were hearing about this worldwide because there was not one. We'll get to how it affected people in real time and long term. There was not one, not one credible report to date, 25 years later, of harm, threat, or abduction associated with the Phoenix Lights phenomena. Quite the opposite. People were in awe and in wonder. And I saw people telling me they feel blessed to have had the experience. If we have time, we'll get into that because that's an, a really intriguing aspect of the whole Phoenix Lights phenomena. But nonetheless, the audience laughed initially, and then they, he asked to turn off the cameras. I had someone that was there tell me that afterwards they were tipped off. Not only the um, reporters, but there were parents there that, with their children, saw something two and three malls wide, and he's making a joke out of it. But again, it put a lid on it. And weeks passed, and during those weeks, I, it, not, it did not sit well with me either. <laughs> I wanted to get to the bottom of it. So I started calling military bases. Never told them what I had, just that I had witnessed and photographed these UAP. And they were more interested in seeing what I had documented than giving an explanation. They were just as curious. In fact, I have some of their conversations in my book, which were comical. One higher up said, well, um, uh, the only ones that know who did this were God and whoever did this. It's like, what? <laughs> okay. Um, which was amazing to me. I mean, they, you know, they just, they wanted to meet with me and there was no way that was happening. A month later, on July 24th, I get a call from one of the heads of PR at the Air National Guard. And she says, oh, Dr. Lynn, I think we know what those lights were back in March. And I was thrilled. Again, I was looking for any logical explanation. She says, do you believe that in all these months, no one ever looked at the log for Air National Guard and the Maryland Air National Guard was in town sending off military illumination flares in Operation Snowbird? which I later found out that in military terms means diversionary tactical maneuvers. So they very well might have been sending off flares to divert attention away from the two unknowns, but not one person, not one person that described what flares do. Because I said to her, well, wait a minute. When was the Maryland Air National Guard in town? She says, March 1st to the 15th. I said, were they in town in January? She said, oh, no. I said, are you sure? She said, absolutely not. I said, well, my husband and I witnessed the same exact phenomena in the same exact location two months before the mass sighting, confirmed the next morning in January and the morning after the mass sighting as appearing over Class B restricted airspace at 1,000 feet altitude. And she says, you never told me that. They never told details. And I said, besides, you're trying to tell me that flares, and I had educated myself to military elimination flares, that drift and drop on parachutes from aircraft haphazardly with the wind, cannot keep a formation for more than a couple seconds of that, have huge smoke trails that are illuminated by the flare itself and are meant to illuminate the area around it. Anyone there that has seen the new movie Maverick from Top Gun? They have to send, I loved it, they happen to send off flares, just as they do. And they're all over the place. I mean, it's just, okay. And I said to her, so you're trying to tell me that flares that cannot keep an information traverse the entire state in a rock-solid, equidistantly spaced, mile-wide V for hours? And she says, uh, I have a call coming in. I'll get back to you while well, I'm still waiting to hear that call. <laughs> 25 years later. Anyway, that really, you know, was like, whoa, I mean, what is going on here? And I can understand, okay, it was brilliant 
actually, whoever came up with that explanation. They had to come up with something because after the USA Today article, and like I said, it went viral. It, the cat was out of the bag. People from all over the world were talking about the Phoenix Lights and wanting to know what was going on. The only hard evidence they had, there's one earlier video of a video, okay? And a lot of people say, well, why aren't there more pictures and video? In the day, in 97, we had those clunky cell phones that did not, I mean, clunky, uh, uh, yeah, cell phones that did not have cameras in them, okay? And who carries around a camera? But a few people did, okay, because of the hell about Comet. And they tried to take pictures of these massive craft that blocked out the stars. The pictures turned out black, okay? So the only hard evidence that they had to discredit were the handful of videos, one of them being mine, right? And whoever came up with the flare thing was brilliant because in video, as I mentioned earlier, they're much smaller, they're white, they flicker. But if you study them, the formations are compelling. But you could mistake them for something else, including flare. Okay. So we get, so the next morning, the headlines is that the Phoenix lights were flares. That was it. And like I said, nobody described what flares do, especially the people that saw the true unknowns. Okay. Three years later, and I'm fast forwarding now because there's a lot more to this story, but Francis Barwood was now running the vice mayor of Phoenix for secretary of state to get answers for the Phoenix lights and brilliantly asking for a reenactment. If it was military, show it, do it again, which is reasonable and logical. Even though, shame on them for denying it for months and then coming up with different, you know, because the flare thing, by the way, um, Luke Air Force Base was saying one thing. David Montans was saying that they, you know, left them out on their way to David's spot. I mean, they, they couldn't get their story straight anyway about the flare thing, let me say. But, hey, if it was flares, do it again. Right before the third anniversary of the mass sighting, in 2000, they announced publicly a big announcement on the radio and TV news that three Air National Guards were coming into town, I believe it was New York, Michigan, and California, to show everyone the Phoenix lights. And we were ready for them. It Talk about a joke. If you go on the news page, scroll down a little bit to where it's a block that says AZ Family, which was a CNN affiliate at the time you will see what they tried to do. They tried to make a triangle. It was upside down. It fell apart immediately. One of them just fizzes out immediately. It had huge smoke trails, just what flares do. To this day, the Phoenix lights have never been recreated or explained, but they continue to appear worldwide. Now, what's also interesting is that right after the 10th anniversary, for whatever reason, former Governor Fife Symington, who mocked the sighting in 97, came forward bravely to divulge that he actually witnessed one of these mile-wide craft. And in his own estimation, as a military-awarded pilot, it definitely wasn't flares. He saw a craft. And in his own words, again, which you would hear worldwide from different countries, it was otherworldly, which was a huge step forward. The more credible people that come forward, and that was one of the reasons I did come forward, which we'll get to after seven years of anonymity. But right after, also in 2017, there was a front page New York Times article divulging that Harry Reid, one of the senators here, had funded a $22 million study with the Pentagon of UFOs with military and government. And now the cat really was out of the bag because they were admitting, even though insiders know that they've been studying it for, for decades, but here they were admitting that they were actually studying something that was unexplainable. Right after that, 
the pilot that I had mentioned earlier, the private pilot, who on approach called the uh, air traffic control to report this V of six lights right in front of him. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Post-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's creator network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. 
So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one, that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life.